on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio 97.7 we ESPN Radio Utica Rome It's happened in Mohawk Valley Great to have you along for the ride today The Planet Fitness Galaxy Cup On the line in the Mohawk Valley tonight You heard uh, Seth bring it to you uh, In the update there Comets and Crunch tonight Wrap it up for the regular season In their series Couple more games for both teams In the regular season before the Calder Cup playoffs get underway. Nothing like playoff hockey. Can't wait to see both of those teams in action, hopefully against each other at some point. But the Galaxy Cup must first be earned. See what happens there tonight. You can hear the crunch here on ESPN Radio Syracuse in the Mohawk Valley. You can hear them over on Brostat K-Rock, right? Great to have you here on a Friday. Got a lot to do today, so let's tell you how to listen. Let's tell you how to participate. If you're listening on the radio right now, that's a beautiful thing. We certainly appreciate that. Don't forget, you can also listen on the ESPN app. If you download that, there's a listen tab right there, and you can find us and take us with you wherever you go, or subscribe to our podcast. If you subscribe to ESPN Syracuse and iTunes and Google Play, you will get a podcast version of this program sent right to you. So you can listen on demand on your time, catch up on the weekend coming up, or whenever it is convenient for you. Here's how you get in touch with the program today, 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. We have three guests that will join us on this Friday, coming up in about 15 minutes here in this hour. Former intern of mine, now shining bright. On NBC Sports, he is the lead studio host for the National Hockey League on NBC. Also part of Olympic coverage, football coverage, and so much more. Our buddy Liam McHugh is going to join us here to discuss the Stanley Cup playoffs, which are underway. We're going to talk to Mike Waters about an hour from now because we've still got some Syracuse basketball things to sort through. Bryce Golden is visiting today. What kind of player is visiting Syracuse today? What kind of replacement could he be for Darius Baisley? What kind of player is the Orange looking into? And, you know, do they have an advantage here of the six schools on his list? Mike has also wrote a terrific series of articles the past couple of days. He went to visit Mike Hopkins in Seattle and got a number of very interesting things from that. One 
of which today was, uh, you know, often on this show and in other walks of life, you know, we kind of make these snap past judgments on things. And, you know, we forget about something that's pretty basic, that there might be motivation beyond what's on the surface for the reason people do what they do. So when Mike Hopkins took the Washington job a year ago, I mean, there were some obvious things that were said and we could see, like, it's a great opportunity. Build his own program. Wouldn't be under Bayheim's shadow here. They're going to pay him a nice uh, chunk of change to do it. Like, And those are the things we debate and we discuss. But as Mike revealed in his articles, there was a very personal reason that Mike took the opportunity to go to Washington when he did. So we'll talk to Mike about that. And, of course, we're awaiting Tyus Battle's decision. I think I think Waters knows and he's holding out on us. So, I don't know, maybe I'll waterboard him or something today, get it out of him. I know you know, Waters. I'm coming at you, baby. So we'll talk to Mike about all those things. We'll also hear from Dino Babers. He's the head coach of the Orange. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, coach. Spring game tonight. Young Tommy DeVito, of course, is the star attraction, but some other things to look out for, and you'll hear Dino wrap up spring ball, why winning is like scrambled eggs, how he diverts talking about Tommy DeVito, even when asked directly about Tommy DeVito, and some other highlights from spring practice and some things that they're doing now to try and avoid some pitfalls that they've had in the fall. So we'll get to that, play back some clips from my one-on-one conversation with Dino Babers, hot takes as usual, and so much more. But that is where I want to start tonight with the spring game happening. And I think you're going to see at the Dome tonight, usual crowd, right? Maybe somewhat of an uptick in interest because of young Tommy DeVito getting out there. And for the first time, really, fans seeing him in live action. You've seen some video here and some photos there. But, you know, Syracuse, I think, has been very careful to, when appropriate and whenever possible, to downplay the development of young DeVito. The buzz you hear from people that have seen him play, that know this stuff, that can analyze it, that have talked to people that have caught footballs from him, you kind of patch together some things. And the opinion you start to gather is that he's the best quarterback on the roster. And I don't want to overhype anything. I don't want to put any undue pressure on him. I don't think we'll see that really tonight. As Dino told me on in my interview, which we'll play back a little bit of today, they're going to run about 80 plays tonight. Split it up between the first and the second team. It is a spring scrimmage. It is controlled. If you are anywhere near being injured, you're not going to see the field tonight, which is why I don't think we'll see Eric Dungy tonight. I'd like to be surprised and see that. But you're wise to be careful about these things. You'll hear Dino, when we play back the clips later, who told me in our chat that they're a little healthier than they thought they would be, and they can run more plays and do some more things tonight. That's what's happening. That's what's to look out for. DeVito is certainly the star attraction. Who are some of those unsung players that could emerge tonight? Linebackers need to be replenished. There are two players on this roster who may be two very talented players in their respective positions that you won't see in the fall because they're transfers, one being Abdul Adams, the running back transfer from Oklahoma, the other being Tristan Jackson, the wide receiver transfer from Michigan State. So that's more way into the future there. And see, it's interesting how this has evolved. So I'm going to go tonight, and I'm going to be there, and I know the football fans in this town are going to go, and they're going to be there, but the spring game has taken on so many different forms in, let's say, the last 10 years. Used to be they would try and hype it up and 
You know, I think even we here at Galaxy, we had a band there one year, and, you know, they, it, it, it's a different coach, different philosophy, different situation, but they've tried to, in various forms, make this a thing, and it's never quite succeeded. I mean, I'll never forget George McDonald wanted 20,000 people there. And you don't want to laugh at somebody. You don't want to doubt their dreams. You don't want to, you know, dampen some enthusiasm there and trying to sell the program and get people to buy in. But, you know, anybody that knows and has been around and measures what the interest level, what the passion, what all things considered for football around here knows, that wasn't going to happen. And this, these were in the days, you know, They'd have it on a Saturday afternoon. I remember walking into one spring game in, in recent years, and it was a Saturday afternoon, and it was it was like 60 degrees, and it sounds nice today. I think uh, Mr. Burns' plan to block out the sun has succeeded, not only today, but when you look at the long-range forecast. We're not getting much above 53 in the next week, and I don't I didn't see one little sunshine graphic on that long-term forecast. So it sounds nice here, but there's been years where the spring game, I'm walking in and, you know, all the students that you would want to go inside on a nice day were out, you know, soaking up the sun and partying and being college kids, which they should be. Other years, the weather's miserable. This is the first time they've done it on a Friday night, so maybe that'll make a difference. But what they're not doing, which I find interesting, but I don't necessarily disagree with, is they're not streaming it. Nor is it on the radio, nor is it broadcast, because you have all these things you can do now. What Syracuse has done is sold you on, okay, well, if the game is not on television, then it'll be on this ACC Network Extra app or it'll be on this ESPN Plus app. Or we have this internet stream we could put it on. There is no shortage of places to find things like this. This is what you would expect. It is an audience that is not huge. Because let's be frank here, if enough of you had knocked on the digital doors, if you will, and let Syracuse know that you want this streamed, they would stream it. Now, ultimately, it's it's Dino Baber's call. If he doesn't want the spring game broadcast, air quotes, in any capacity, wants to keep it low-key, wants to focus on the fan engagement aspect of it, because that is one of the great things about the spring game. It is primarily focused on the people that have accessibility to the building and will be there. Players are not going to be made available to the media afterwards, but they will be made available to you. So if you can get a quote or two from DeVito, you know, X-Man will hook you up. But that's what it's really about. Come hang out, pick your seat, right, the select-a-seat thing, meet the players. So there's a mix of we know we have you, we know you're interested, we know you're a football fan, we know you're investing in the program, so we're going to let you pick where you sit. You're already interested enough to come meet the players, get their autograph, see what they're like in person, say hello to the coaches, interact a little bit. Syracuse has kind of made its peace with, this is what it is. We've tried all these other things before, and it never attracted that outside audience that we were looking for. Like I said, if enough people had demanded that this thing be streamed or put on some form of app or somewhere, if you're not at the Dome to see it, then I think it, it would have happened. But is that interest level there enough? Because as much as the Clemson win and the Virginia Tech win the year before that and the, and the high-powered offense that Dino Babers has put into place and some other things have heightened awareness of Syracuse football 
The question is, has it heightened interest? And we're not quite there yet. There's still work to be done there. And I will save this for later when we play back the interview. If you've already heard it on my podcast, you have heard Dino Babers in his way give the same message that Scott Schaefer gave before him, that Doug Marone gave before him, that Greg Robinson gave before him, and that Paul Pasqualoni didn't necessarily do. And that is plead for you to be a part of this. Dino gives the most passionate answer there and makes the connective tissue between the fan base and winning more than any coach that I've discussed that topic with. So you'll hear that later when we play back those clips. And he's making the same plea that many before him have. But tonight, what you will see is pretty much what you've seen in recent years, about four or 5,000 people. The people that really want to be there will be there, will enjoy it, will get to see their football friends in the spring, plan things out, plan those tailgates and all those things they're going to do in all, see some of those familiar faces that are just as passionate about Syracuse football as they are. But those are the same faces that they've seen for the past few years. When will something like this be just as interesting to those that, how can I put this? And it's not even the Fairweather 10,000 that I always like to cite because you're not going to get them to go to the Carrier Dome on a Friday night to watch a spring football game. But the irony is not the right word, but if DeVito is as good as, and advertised is not the right way to put it either, but is as good as anticipated, how about that? And makes his way onto the field, and nobody's shoving Eric Dungy aside, okay? But if he starts to build that interest, there's nothing like a big-time quarterback that can attract that outside audience. And the things that have been building up to this point come together, how the offense has you know, been more exciting and high-flying and high-scoring the past couple of years. You need your defense to show up late in the season because they just haven't the past two years. But it just goes to show you that here we are. This is Dino's third spring game. This is year three. And for all of the goodwill and the buildup and the excitement and the upsets that they have had the past couple of years, it still goes to show you the process that is there to make Syracuse football interesting again. And they seem to be on the brink of that. And they've certainly invested a lot there in the last two years to do it. So what, if anything, will tonight be a part of that process? Well, you circle back to the one thing. How much will we see how good DeVito is tonight? Because I know how good Dungy is. And I know some other things before I get there tonight, but this could start to seed the process of, man, that kid can rip that football. And big things are ahead. That's what going to this game does. That's why, you know, I, I certainly don't completely disagree with the fans that want to see it in some capacity. And you'll see highlights and you'll see things one way or the other. But Syracuse has kind of gone out of its way. And by Syracuse, I really mean Dino has gone out of his way to, to really downplay this. But you can only do that for so long. And that By that, I mean DeVito. But you can only do that for so long. So tonight might be that first kind of half step forward where people are like, okay, now I know. I've seen it with my own eyes. Let the hype begin.
It's just a spring game, but this is really your only opportunity or a first opportunity for many to see it. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. There is football in the air. We'll get back to that later when we'll play back some clips from my one-on-one conversation with Dino Babers. We're going to talk some hockey next. Liam McHugh, our buddy from NBC Sports, is going to hop on the show. We'll talk some Stanley Cup playoffs. A lot happening in just the first couple of days, including many names that have come through Syracuse, New York, on the Syracuse Crunch, making a big impact with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is this the year the Lightning win the Cup? We'll get Liam's take on that and more coming up next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Oh, sure is. All guests on the block, like Liam McHugh, who just joined us from NBC Sports. Mike Waters later in the show, and Syracuse football head coach Dino Babers will also join us later. Join the program via the Billy Whitaker Cars and Trucks hotline. Let's do it, shall we? With that fancy open, let's hot take this thing. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for hot takes on the block. Now, I don't think this is going to happen, but this is one of those that's at least worth two minutes of speculation. So the Dallas Cowboys released Des Bryant today, and everybody plays this game on Twitter. Well, my team should sign this guy who's been released, right? And it's either just a quick passing look and you say that's not going to work because of this, or you move on. And you move on, pardon me, or you say, wait a minute, that might work for my team. Let's run the numbers. Let's see how this goes. So, of course, the Buffalo Bills are in need of a big-time receiver. All right, their two big receivers are Calvin Benjamin and Zay Jones. And We all know the offseason situation with Zay Jones, and I hope he's okay. I hope that gets taken care of. But you'd be wise to add some players to the roster in case his off-the-field situation turns into one that does not allow him back on the field. You've got A.J. McCarron as your quarterback, plus whoever they're going to draft coming up with Tyrod Taylor gone. You need a big target. Now, it's a chicken or the egg thing, right? And the Bills have two huge holes on the offensive line to fill now with Eric Wood and Richie Incognito both retiring, both claiming for health reasons for Incognito. I think it's a little bit of some other things, plus health, right? So the Bills have a lot of holes to fill on the offensive line. So Des Bryant comes in, and he would have cost the Dallas Cowboys – $16.5 $16.5 million on their salary cap. He's got a $12.5 million base salary. The Cowboys are going to save about $8 million on the cap this year. He's 29 years old. His production has done nothing but go down since he signed a five-year $70 million contract. Parts of the 2015 and 2016 seasons, he was injured. He played all of last year, but he has not had over 69 catches and over 1,000 yards since signing that big-time contract. Des Bryant at one point was in the conversation as the best wide receiver in football. He's no longer in that conversation. He's no longer close to it. Des Bryant also comes to the table with a bit of a diva label, somebody who's not afraid to speak out. He was on Twitter speaking out about this like 10 minutes after he walked out of the facility, which he has every right to do. He's trying to sell himself and get out there and get some teams to sign him. Somebody will sign Des Bryant. There's no question about it. 
he's not going to be on the market long. That's a guy that you take a shot on if you need a wide receiver. Do I think the Bills are going to win out there? I don't because of the money. I don't think he meshes with Sean McDermott. There's just a lot of things that I think will cause the Bills to pass on this. If I'm a Giant fan, I'm at least intrigued. But Des Bryant and Odell Beckham Jr. on the same team, I don't think think the world uh, could survive that. Dez apparently hinted when he walked out of that meeting that uh, I'll be seeing you twice next year. So which division team is he talking about there? Could the Eagles fit him in? We mentioned the Giants. The Redskins could certainly use a big receiver for Alex Smith to throw to. If I had to guess, that's if the numbers work, that could be a strong possibility there. But it is one of those. That's hot. If I'm the Bills, I don't just say, huh, how about that, and move on. I actually look at it. I actually ask important people the right questions about whether or not it's worth pursuing because they need big-time targets at wide receiver to hold them over till they can build up that position. They need a lot of help on offense. I don't think people realize like how much this, this team made the playoffs, but that team that made the playoffs is no longer the team that made the playoffs, if that makes sense. Your starting quarterback and two major parts of your offensive line and three wide receivers are gone from that. They've got a lot of building up to do to stay in that conversation. So if you were a diehard and you got there, you know, I was at uh, NBT Bank Stadium as things opened up yesterday at 3.30 and they delayed the start of the game because of weather for opening day. So if you're a diehard that got there and, and rode it out through rain delays and weather and a game that went to extra innings last night, What you saw was the new rules that are being tested in minor league markets before baseball at the major league level decides to implement this. So now if you get to extra innings, a runner is put on second base. And I thought this was intriguing. I had a a little Twitter exchange with somebody about this because initially I just kind of tweeted a snarky thing because – the game report from Lindsey Kramer said that, you know, fans booed it when the PA announcer came on and announced the new rules for extra innings. There was a scattering of boos. Now, if you have made it to the 10th inning of a game when it's 40 degrees out and there's light rain falling, you are a baseball fan. You are there to watch baseball in its pure form. They're not trying to change the rules and market to somebody like you. Pace of play doesn't apply to you. If you're still hanging in there, you know, a rain-delayed game and opening day's opening day, but after a while, even the, the most passionate baseball people are like, I'm freezing, it's 45 degrees, let's get out of here, right? So they're not making this rule for you. And I thought about it in general. I said, now, the, the people that are trying to apply these rules to are people that don't stay for 10-inning baseball games because they obviously don't have the patience to do that. People that come like, hey, let's bring the kids, let's hang out, let's get some peanuts and some Cracker Jacks and some ice cream nachos, and hey, here's a souvenir, and oh, I got a picture with Scooch and Bada Bing, and they're out of there by the eighth inning anyway. Like We were just talking to our buddy Liam McHugh. Like when you got little kids, you're not riding out a four-hour baseball game into extra innings. So you don't care about pace of play. The interesting thing to me is, a rule like putting that runner on base automatically in extra innings, the people you're trying to market that rule to are rarely there for that, right? Because it's not always a great game that leads up to extra innings. Sometimes the team will sneak in three or four runs in the late innings 
to send it to texture innings. I get that it all adds up. I get that you've got to change the pace. I love some of the new pace of play rules, particularly the mound visits being limited because now those are valuable stock. You can't just misuse those. If you're going to go talk to that pitcher, if you're going to use a mound visit, it better be important as opposed to stalling and just, you know, the pace of play being effective negatively by that. But I found it interesting that I got some feedback from some Chiefs fans that were there. They were like, yeah, they won the game, but they still didn't like the way that they did it. So is what you've got to see, this speaks to a broader conversation. While you've got to adapt and you've got to appeal to a new audience, you cannot do it at the expense of the people that will be there no matter what. Putting a runner automatically on base in extra innings, even for, I mean, it's opening day. How many more games do they have? What difference does it make? And yes, it does speed things along. It does change the strategy a little bit. But it just seems like something like you'd make up in the backyard. Like, come on, guys, my mom's going to call me for dinner in five minutes. Can we just put a runner on second automatically and end this thing? Baseball is a sport that's hot that is too steeped in its traditions and is too has been too hesitant to change. But I get where those fans are coming from because those fans appreciate the game. That's kind of hokey that they're the ones left watching a baseball game and all of a sudden this runner trots out there automatically. Those aren't the fans you're trying to convince the game is good. They're there for a reason, especially that late in that weather. So God bless them. We'll see how that goes, though. There was one more thing here I wanted to hit in hot takes before we took a break, and now I cannot remember it. We did the Bills thing. We did the new rules in baseball. Oh, boy. Ah, there it is. Sorry, I had a little brain crap for a moment here. Baseball acted very swiftly. Speaking of baseball, another baseball note here. So the Yankees and Red Sox wrapped up. Funny how quiet all those Yankee fans were who were getting at me the other day were today. They were still mesmerized by the off-speed pitches of Rick Porcello, apparently. Awful quiet on the Twitter and the texts and everything else today. Funny how that works. Anyway, uh, baseball suspended Joe Kelly for six games, which you suspend a pitcher for six games. What does that really matter? Even a relief pitcher. Tyler Austin got five. Red Sox manager Alex Cora, Yankees third base coach Phil Nevin, along with four players who entered the field while on the disabled list, including C.C. Sabathia, Xander Bogarts, Marco Hernandez, and Dustin Pedroia, were all fined. The suspensions and fines should eliminate any need for retaliation the two teams insisted before they played their series finale last night at Fenway Park. Uh, Hanley Ramirez got hit, but... Didn't seem to be intentional. Air quotes seem to be intentional. But that's my question right there. Raise your hand if you think this is going to end things between the Yankees and Red Sox. Because it took the Sox four innings to retaliate in that game. Whereas last year in the Baltimore situation with Manny Machado, it took them a a few days. Raise your hand if you feel all is square here. If the suspensions and the fines are enough, I'm surprised nothing happened last night despite all that. Maybe you don't want to pile up too many fines and suspensions in one series. Perhaps Cora and Aaron Boone said, guys, just we got 16 more games against this team. Let's space it out here. But does anybody truly think this is over? 
because I don't. Maybe it is, but it's the Yankees and Red Sox. Something else will come up here. But baseball jumped right in there. Six games for Kelly, five games for Tyler Austin. There's been a lot of uh, bench-clearing brawls, more than baseball would like to see here on April 13th. So I'll be curious to see how baseball in every situation is different. Right? We just talked about pace of play rules and how that's important. I'll be very curious to see how they address the unwritten rules, throwing at batters, base brawls, and that sort of thing going forward. Because I think their tolerance is getting less and less for it. I really do think Rob Manfred's kind of sick of it. On that note, let's take a break. When we come back, Mike Waters. Been killing it this week. Great stuff on Mike Hopkins. He went to Seattle and visited him. So we'll catch up with Mike on those articles. A very important basketball visit taking place as we speak. And what's up with Tyus Battle? We now know what's up with O'Shea. Is there anything, any white smoke coming from the battle camp? Like, what do we know about whether he's either returning or going pro? We'll get into that with Mike. Dino Babers next hour. We'll play back some clips from my one-on-one interview with the head coach heading into the spring game tonight. You are on the block. You're on ESPN Radio. Stay right there. Back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.